Nick Stafford, as Dustin said earlier, and I am not one of the, uh, the normal teachers here, uh, but we're not in normal times right now. Uh, the normal teachers that you're used to seeing up here, uh, the majority of them have, uh, have gotten sick. And so, uh, thankful that Dustin prayed for that earlier, but that's why you're seeing me up here this morning. And I was also asked to give uh, an update, uh, an announcement before we get started that this week, uh, and so far this week only, uh, we'll pick it up again next week and see what happens. But fellowship groups are going to be canceled just for this week only. And so uh, this morning we're going to look at the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bible, let's open up to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Our text is going to be verses 14 through 19. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we call upon your name this morning. You are the God of glory. God, just as we sang, we want to continue to worship you now through your word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us your word in a language that we can understand. And God, we come to you now and we ask you that you would grant us help from heaven as we open your word, we read them, and we teach them. God, help us. God, I pray that you would use your word in our life this morning, that you would make it effective, that you would accomplish your will in your church. God, that you would make your name known. God, we need your help for all these things. Christ, apart from you, we can do nothing. So, Lord, please come. Please help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text is Revelation 3. 14 through 19. Let's read our text, and then we'll, we'll look at what's here. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So, as an introduction to this passage, early on in the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus uh, is speaking to John, and he tells him what he wants uh, what John is about to hear, he tells John to write this down in a book and send it to seven different churches throughout Asia Minor. And that's what we have here in Revelation 2 and in Revelation 3. We have these short letters that Jesus is sending to the churches. And this morning, our text is looking at the, the letter that's written specifically to a church in 
Laodicea. And so by way of introduction just to this church in Laodicea this morning, we want to start by examining where this church is. What's the condition of this church? What's the state of this church? And so uh, the state of this church uh, is going to be ex- uh, expounded to us in verse 15. Jesus begins here in verse 15 with an accusation. Look at verse 15 with me. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. So uh, uh, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so this church is lukewarm. This church is not particularly hot and they're not particularly cold. And so I want you to think, compare just for a minute uh, how you think about this accusation as it's compared to other accusations to the other churches that have been mentioned in the book of Revelation so far. Notice here that like the other churches, there's no licentiousness. People are not taking license to sin. Jesus doesn't call that out. He also doesn't call out any, any idolatry. He doesn't mention any rank heresy in these churches and, and uh, point them out, uh, call them out because of that. Uh, he doesn't do any of that. He says, you guys are lukewarm. You are the middle of the road. These guys are not excited about the things of God, but they're not against the things of God either. They're particularly bored with things. They're, they're the type of people that have the proverbial one foot in and one foot out of the church. They are one foot in and one foot out about all the things of God. They are indifferent to the things of of God. And that's what Jesus sees here, and that's what he wants to address in this church. And so Jesus uses this word lukewarm as a metaphor to describe the spiritual state that they're in. And the spiritual state that they find themselves in is that they are apathetic to God, indifferent, lukewarm, apathetic towards God. Now look at what this makes Jesus want to do. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, because you're lukewarm, because of your apathy, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Laodicean church, I came to you to take a sip, and what I tasted repulsed me. I want to get this out of my mouth as fast as possible. And so, in all the letters of the churches, Jesus has something positive to say. Yes, he comes with an accusation, but he has something positive to say in every single letter to the churches, except for this one, except to the church of the Laodiceans. And so let me ask this question. Could it be that spiritual apathy, that boredom with the things of God, is one of the worst possible spiritual conditions you can find yourself in? And again, looking at verse 16, I believe this text argues that that could be the case. Jesus wants to spit this apathetic church out of his mouth. So the question I have for us today is, is apathy a real problem today? Certainly it was here. But is it a real problem for us? Is apathy a problem in the church today? So I ask you this question for self-diagnosis. Have you ever had the experience of saying to yourself, where's all the zeal for Christ that I used to have? Where did all the eagerness for Christ go? Where did the eagerness for making his name known among all the nations, where did it go? Have you felt like you've put your Christian life on 
autopilot, which seem to be easy to do right now. We're in quarantine. Things are much different than they were 10 months ago. And it would seem to be easy to put your life on autopilot. Have you done that? Are you drifting along in your Christian life and all of a sudden you wake up and find yourself bored with God? And so this passage today has a lot to teach us about lukewarmness, about our apathy towards God. And so as we look into this passage, our basic roadmap this morning is going to be three points here. We're going to look at the problem in this church, the problem of apathy. We're going to look at the root of this apathy. And then we're going to look and see what Jesus says about a solution to their apathy. So point one is let's talk about the problem of apathy. What's the problem with it? Why does apathy bother Jesus so much? Why should apathy bother us so much? Let's start with verse 14. Look at verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, and now we're about to get Jesus' words. He wants them specifically to hear these words here. The words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So look at what Jesus does here. He starts his letter by describing himself. He starts his letter by looking at him, giving them a description of who he is. He says, I am the Amen. I am the faithful and true witness. I am the beginning of God's creation. And so right off the bat here, we get a clue into where Jesus is going with this. And we get a clue into what the problem with apathy is in this church. Our apathy today is a big problem because of who we're apathetic towards. Apathy is dangerous and deadly because of who we're bored with. And so look at what Jesus is doing in verse 14. Look at how he's, he's setting up this letter to talk about his glory and his majesty and his supremacy. He says, I am the amen. This is firm or true or faithful or trustworthy. And he adds this, this second uh, title here, the faithful and true witness. This helps to define what it means by amen further, that he is reliable. His words are firm. He is not a man that he should lie. All that he says is true. What Jesus is trying to communicate here is that there is none like him in his faithfulness and none like him in his truthfulness. When he speaks, all that he says and all that he promises will come to pass. And he also points us to this phrase that he is the beginning of God's creation. Now, I, I never want to miss an opportunity to try to um, adjust or uh, think through potential misunderstandings about Scripture. And this is a, a particular uh, sentence that has led to potential misunderstandings about Scripture. And so let's address what Jesus means here when he says that he is the beginning of God's creation. He's not giving an order of creation here. Meaning there was God, and when God started creating all things, the first thing he started with was Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that he is a part of God's creation. Rather, what Jesus is saying when he says he's the beginning of all creation is he means it in the sense of the way that John 1.3 says it, that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so... By saying that he's the beginning of God's creation, he's saying that he is the source of all creation. He is highlighting his authority and his power and his majesty and his supremacy in creation, in creating all things, even us. 
He's highlighting this for us. And so verse 14 is meant to be a, a, a tone-setting opening part of this letter. He wants to put the letter in the proper context. It's important for us to understand who it is that's speaking. It's important for the church in Laodicea to understand who it is that's speaking to them as well. And so when we consider the way that Christ opens up this letter, he's highlighting who he is as far as his faithfulness, his truthfulness, and the glory of who he is as creator. I want to ask you, when is the last time that you spent time considering the glory of Jesus Christ as the creator of all things? When is the last time that you opened up Genesis chapter 1 and considered how shocking and awfully amazing it is that God created all things? When's the last time you've done that? When you go and read Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 1 it says, In the beginning, uh, there was God. In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And then as you read on, you realize that God did this not by gathering up lots of resources. He did it by speaking. He said things like, let there be light, and it was so. Have you ever tried to do that? Don't do it. You won't be able to. God spoke and created light. When have you sat down and gloried over the God of Genesis 1-1? When's the last time you've lingered long over John 1-3? John, in John 1-3, is looking back at Genesis 1-1, and he pulls in this language, and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. When have you lingered over Christ the creator and the glory of that statement, the glory of this doctrine? When's the last time you thought about the glory of Christ as creator? Or maybe even uh, Colossians 1.16. It says, by Christ, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and all things were created for him. So not only is he the source of all creation, he is the thing that all creation was created for. When's the last time you've considered these things? The hymn writer who wrote the song that we just sang, this is what he was doing when he wrote these words. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made i see the stars i hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe display then sings my soul after considering all these things that god has done the glory of god the glory of jesus christ as creator he says then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art when's the last time you've lingered over these things? Do you consider the glory of God in creation? Now, let me ask this too. What does that, what does the glory of God in creation have to do with apathy, with, with indifference? How do these things connect? And imagine, imagine growing up in slums. I've been to India. I've seen slums. It's a, it's a terrible sight to see. And imagine growing up in the slums of India. And then for the first time ever, you're taken to Mount Everest. Imagine the contrast of what you've seen your whole life, and then all of a sudden, you're taken to Mount Everest, and you, for the first time, you see Mount Everest. And your response, 
is that you shrug your shoulders in boredom. If you were to see that, you would say that there is something profoundly, deeply wrong in that picture. And I'll take that a step further. Imagine hearing of the glories of the one who created the universe day in and day out and shrugging your shoulders over that glory because you're bored with it. This would indicate that something is deeply wrong. And this is what makes apathy so dangerous. Apathy is so profoundly dangerous because of who we're apathetic towards. And at its core, apathy is a missing of the greatness and the glory and the majesty of God, who is the most glorious being in all the universe. And so if we're missing that, that tells us something about the spiritual condition that we're in. Apathy towards God is an indicator that we are in a bad place spiritually. And so the first thing we have to come to terms with, the first thing we need to come to grips with this morning is the seriousness of our apathy towards God. Now let's move on to the root of our apathy. What we see in our passage is that apathy is actually fruit of another problem. It's a different it's a different problem that's going on in the Laodiceans, and apathy is the evidence of that problem. Apathy of, is, is the, the symptom of a deeper sickness that's going on. There's something that comes before apathy here. And so we have to explore this. How did they get to this apathetic state? What led them to their apathy? Let's look at verse 17. Jesus says, For you say, and now it's like he's about to start quoting them. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. So how did the Laodiceans get here? What led them here? The very clear answer is that they have a very profound sense of self-sufficiency. They are deeply self-reliant. Look at it in verse 17. They say, I need nothing. Let that sink in. The words of a church, I need nothing. We're okay, God. We're just fine. We've got this. We need nothing. And we have to ask the question, is there a statement that you have ever heard that is more contrary to the gospel than this? I need nothing. And you say, what do you mean? That doesn't sound terribly contrarian. But to say that I need nothing shows that this person has no regard whatsoever for what God has done for us in Christ. It is no different than someone saying, I don't need grace. I don't need mercy. I don't need anything. I need nothing. I am fine. There's no difference in those terms. So the message of the gospel that we need to be very clear about is not, I need nothing. The message of the gospel is, apart from Christ, I have nothing. Apart from Christ, I am nothing. The message of the gospel is that you do need grace. You do need mercy. You do need forgiveness. You do need God. 
And the Bible teaches very clearly that you are a sinner. You are not just fine. You are not okay as you are. The wrath of God abides over you. You need someone to save you. You have a need for these things. There is nothing that we can accomplish before God to make our situation any better. No amount of money that we give to charity, no amount of money that you give to any churches is going to help you. No amount of kindness that we share with others is going to take away any sin. We humans are in a terrible place before a holy God, and there is nothing that we can do in our power to fix it. We cannot work ourselves out of it. And this is awful news. And it's not awful news for a select few in the room. It's awful news for everyone in this building and everyone in your social circles and everyone in your family and everyone that you work with and everyone around you that has a pulse, both on this, uh, on this continent and every other continent on this planet. It's awful news for everyone alive. We have offended a holy God and we cannot do anything in our strength to help our situation. But God has not left us just to die in the state. God has not left us in this place. He's done something for us that we could not do for our sin, for ourselves. He sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sin. Jesus bore the wrath that we deserved. He was punished for transgressions that were not his, they were ours. He substituted his body on the cross and took the penalty as a substitute for our sins so that all those who turn to him, all those who believe in him and hold fast to the gospel will have eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of Jesus' hand. No one can snatch them out of God's hand. God has done something amazing for us. And as we look at this text, we need to remember who it is that Jesus is, who it is that's saying these things. It's the amen, the faithful and true witness, the one who, if he says something, you take it to the bank. He's not a man that he should lie. When Jesus says, all those who come to me, I will never cast out, that's truth. Those who come to Christ will never be cast out. The mindset of I need nothing is profoundly contrary to truth. We are totally dependent for God, totally dependent on God for all things in life and all things in salvation. And so the point of this passage this morning is that the self-reliant, self-sufficient, I need nothing mindset makes, makes people completely bored with God. It leads to apathy towards God. And specifically, it leads to apathy towards Jesus Christ and the gospel. So my question to you, for you to consider this morning, is are you bored with the gospel? Have you lost your sense of dependence on Christ? What makes you feel secure this morning? What makes you feel like you have everything under control? What would make you say, I need nothing? Would it be your husband? Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's the fact that you have a family. You are a family man here. Or you're a wife raising children. Is it the community you've established around you? Is it your great job that you've had and have been moving up in for years now? Is it a new job that you've gotten recently? What is it that makes you feel secure? 
What would happen if God took all those things from you tomorrow? Would you crumble? Be on guard against self-reliant, self-sufficient mindset that leads us towards boredom with God. Be on guard against apathy. And as we continue in our passage, we can see that something else comes from a self-reliance. Self-reliance also leads to something else here that we see in verse 17. Let's look again at verse 17. Jesus says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So the other thing that we see that comes from self-reliance is self-deception. Jesus says, you say this about yourself, but who you really are is this. Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It's as if the Laodiceans are looking into a mirror and they're seeing nothing but goodness and beauty. Rainbows and butterflies in themselves. But then Jesus puts in front of them a mirror that shows them what they're truly like. Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Self-reliance not only leads to apathy towards Christ, but it also leads to self-deception. It leads to blindness to your true spiritual condition, your true spiritual state. And this is what's truly tragic for this church, if you think about it. That they have an abundance of self-reliance, but they have a huge lack of self-awareness. Abundance of reliance on themselves. And totally devoid of, devoid of any awareness about who they truly are. That's the great deception of what has happened in Laodicea. There's this big gap between what they say and what's really true. Now where did this come from? We have to go a step lower. It's pretty amazing, as I was reading through, considering this text, praying through this text, apathy is, is it's the, on the first front page of the paper here. It's the thing that stands out. They have grown bored. And then as you begin to peel the onions away, you realize, this is not about apathy at all. It's, there's so many deeper things here that need to be explored and to be brought out so that we can understand why apathy is the thing that is evidencing so many deeper, deeper sins. And so what, where did their self-reliance come from? What happened here? How did they get to this place where they lack self-awareness? And it's very clear for this church in verse 17 that the way that they got here was wealth. It was affluence. Now, this, does not te this text does not teach that wealth is bad, nor any other text in the Bible does not teach that wealth is bad. This passage is not intended to make you feel guilty this morning if you have money. I want to encourage you to remember that. It's not intended to make you do that. However, if you have wealth, you should know that there is sin creeping at your door, and its desire is to use your wealth to make you more reliant on yourself and less reliant on God. This is the sin, this is the lie of self-reliance. I need nothing, and I'm just fine without God. Be on guard against all forms of self-reliance that lead you down the path of apathy towards Christ. Now, final point here, solution to their apathy. And praise God for this. The solution is the exact same solution 
that we see for every other sin that we deal with. The solution to our apathy is to repent and come to Christ. Let's look at verse 17 again, and we'll read through 19. You say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing you're, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, <clears throat> so that you might be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove, so be zealous and repent. And so the first part of the solution that we have this morning, it's actually already been discussed. The first step in repentance is having a fresh realization of who you are, of who you truly are, and coming to terms with that. It's, you need to understand how serious your condition is. The door of repentance is always open through God showing us our true spiritual condition. So in essence, what has to happen first, if we're looking for a solution to this, what has to happen first is coming to terms with who you are and how needy you are before a holy God. And I hope what's happening this morning is that you're saying to yourself, that's exactly where I am, Nick. I see where I am before a holy God. If you felt conviction of sin, I hope you feel this way, that I see where I am, but now what? The second part of this solution is come to Christ. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me. You need a, a new place to shop. Buy from me so that you'll have true riches, true clothing, true healing from your very apparent blindness. Jesus is telling the Laodiceans, effectively, that they have been searching in all the wrong places for their satisfaction. A brief history here is that Laodicea was a very wealthy, affluent place. Shopping was something that was very common here, had huge marketplaces. And Jesus is effectively telling them here that you've been looking in all the wrong places for satisfaction. What's amazing is that they think they've already found good satisfaction. They think they've already found true satisfaction based on what they've said. We're rich. We've prospered. We don't need anything. We've, we've found true satisfaction. And what Jesus says is, no, you only think that because you haven't eaten true food. You aren't eating true food. You are bored with it. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that I'm sure many of you have heard, and it's a, it's a very famous quote, and so I felt very safe quoting it this morning. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis talking about this very thing. He said, We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Come, buy from me, and you'll see how much you've been missing. Don't be like that. To explain this further, what's great about what Jesus says here is that they're remarkably similar to a passage from Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2 says this, and listen for this language here. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, eat. 
Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And, and you labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. The solution to our apathy this morning is to taste and see that the Lord is far better than the other things that we seek out to satisfy us. So, by way of closing, if we were to ask the question now, how can we pursue this? We see the problem. The problem of apathy is very serious. We see the root of it. At root of this problem, there's self-sufficiency, self-reliance, a leaning away from the things of God because we've got this I-need-nothing mindset. And we see that that is completely lacking self-awareness. They are not truly in a state of needing nothing. They've discounted the true things of God. And then we see the solution to this. Repent. Understand who you truly are. Come to Christ because look at what he's offering. It's infinitely better than the things you pursue to satisfy you. So how can we do that? I've got three ways, three reasons here, three, three ways we can pursue the solution to our apathy. Number one, draw near to Christ. Draw near to Christ. If you've been convicted of apathy this morning, there can be a hesitancy to come because you feel so guilty. I understand that. I'm totally sympathetic to that. I've been exposed, and it doesn't feel good. It stings. Maybe I ought to let some time go by, let things cool down, and then I'll come to God. But then, once, once the, the air is cleared a little bit, I'll have a clear access, a clear path to God. Now think about how the Laodiceans felt. It's safe to say that this is a letter of reproof. This is, this is discipline this morning. Uh, this is discipline over this church. Imagine how they would have felt. They would have felt the sting of conviction here. But I want to try to help us feel this sting of conviction and not shy away from it, but instead do this exhortation, which is come to Christ. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 19. Again, the backdrop here is that this letter is meant to be reproof and discipline to this church. And in verse 19, Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So the conviction that you feel, if you feel that this morning, over indifference, boredom, apathy towards God, that's a good thing. It is evidence that Christ is loving you this morning. This conviction is meant to help you see that he is loving you and he's disciplining you out of love. Therefore, come to Christ. <clears throat> How do we do this? Spend time reading his word. Read God's word. Call out to him often in prayer. Seek out and pursue coming to Christ. He said, all those who come to me are never cast out. Seek out, drawing near to Christ. Number two, <clears throat> seek out community in the church who will do for you what Jesus does for this church. I'll say that again. Seek out, pursue, find, befriend, build relationship with 
people in this church who will do for you exactly what Jesus is doing for this church, which is he's showing them the seriousness of their sin. There's a tendency to be a part of groups that are willing to confess sin but never address sin. Let's talk about it, get it on the table. That way it's kind of off of our chest, but never actually turn the corner and talk about why that's so serious and could be potentially, possibly damning for your soul if you continue to make a practice of that sin. There's a tendency to lean into those types of groups. Let's talk about it, but let's never deal with it. Let's talk about it, but let's never try to get to a place where we're putting it to death. Let's talk about it, but I don't really want to do anything about it. There's a tendency to lean into those groups. And if you're in high school or if you're in college today, you should know that the propensity is very high for you to be drawn to those groups. Those groups are prevalent around you. Be on guard against that. Seek out friends who will address your sin even if it hurts. A community of people who do nothing but tell you how awesome you are may not be really good friends for you. Seek out those who are willing to wound you in love just as Christ is doing here. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Seek out friends who will address your sin even if it hurts. And number three, once sin is identified, don't make peace with it. Once sin is identified, don't make peace with it. Apathy doesn't happen overnight. Typically, Normally, you're not going to go to bed zealous and wake up indifferent. Normally. Apathy happens a little over here. And then a little bit over there. A little self-reliance in just this one little tiny area over here today. And then a little overlooking of how my true state is over here tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, you wake up and you realize that you have a heart that's cooled off towards the things of God. You've grown apathetic. It does not happen overnight. So the exhortation is, once sin is identified, go to work, pick up yourself, and pursue the work of putting it to death. You need community for that. You need Christ for that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, I, I want to ask you in accordance with your word this morning that you would help us. God, that you would, you would help us in our apathy. Lord, I pray that you would shake us out of it. Lord, if we are a church who, who has apathy in our midst, God, help us to make it known. Help us to see it. Help us to understand the seriousness of it. And Lord, we are so grateful and thankful that you discipline and reprove those whom you love. God, you are not willing to let your church linger in sin, but you are, you, are, you are more than willing to deal with our sins. So God, help us this morning. Help us to deal with our apathy. Lord, we need you for all these things. We are totally dependent on you, Lord. We pray these things to you in Christ's name. Amen.